Welcome to episode 201 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, yo, brother. What's going on? Not much, man. Not much. It's uh, August. I don't know. Still have the coronavirus <laughs> out there. It's the Lord's Day. I don't know. Not All much the energy on. we had just came crashing yeah. down. <laughs> I'm really distracted right now because I can see in my uh, screen, if you look at my eye, there's like, for some reason, the little screen from the microphone is like super reflected in my eye and it's really distracting. I don't really know what to do about it. That's true. It's kind of freaky. That seems though kind of like a Marvel type, like superhero. Like you, you seem to me like (laughs) the way it looks like there's something in my eye or like I'm about to cry or something. It's, I I don't know how to explain it. I, I apologize for the laughing. What everybody could not see is this way in which you were tilting your head, like just turning back and forth and tilting your head up and down. Try <laughs> in a freaky I'm gonna way. I'm going to take a screenshot is what I'm doing right yeah, now. Yeah, It Try looks to- like to me as if you were in the Iron Man suit. Cause isn't there like all kinds of stuff going on in there again? Like I'm out of yeah, my Yeah, Like here. you see stuff reflected on his face. Yes. Like, isn't there like there's readings and there's metrics yeah. and all kinds of stuff that's being disclosed to him right in the suit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that was actually we're gonna totally just derail the whole show right now. <laughs> that was one of their main challenges with the Iron Man movies is how do you how do you have a big star like Robert Downey Jr. who is like behind a mask the entire movie and not like basically waste the fact that you have a big name star in your movie. So that they that's why they created those scenes where you see his face inside of the Iron Man suit. Is so they actually had screen time with his face as Iron Man instead of just Tony Stark. Nobody cares about that. Clever. But see, the, no, but see, these are things that I never thought about, but that makes complete sense to me once you say it like that. I, yeah. When it comes to movies, I'm not often very good at perceiving all those little things. I wish I was better at picking up themes and understanding like the cinematography and the way in which a movie's constructed. And yeah. in addition, the things that you're talking about, how when you have an actor that you want to portray something and yet you're putting them in a costume or you're hiding them behind something. How do you bring all that personality and that stuff forward? And your, yeah. your face is still awesome. <laughs> I, I'm, this is going to be an issue the entire episode. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to fix it. And there's no way. Uh, oh, well. well, all right. Before I pull us right straight into I'll Marvel just do this the whole books, time. I'll just keep this eye closed yeah. like a pirate. Yeah. Just pirate that. That's fantastic. Actually that <laughs> I really wish people could see that. That's fantastic. Yes. Let's jump into some affirmations. You want me to go first or do you want to start us off? I will give you the choice. Why don't you start us off, brother? Okay. So I am jumping into an application affirmation and it's mainly because of something that you and I continually talk about. And that is, at least for me, my inability to be satisfied with applications because there's so many of them. And like we were talking about... They do most of everything that I want, and then I find one that does something new and different that I want that thing. And so one of the, the applications I've been really enjoying is um, something for listening to podcasts. And I know that this can be somewhat polarizing because everybody has oh, their man. own podcast. What do we call it? Catcher these days or yeah. way Pod of listening catcher. to podcasts. But I'm enjoying Pocket Casts. Okay. And I do have a tendency to bounce around a little bit, but I've been enjoying this one for quite some time for two, at least two reasons, which is why I want to affirm Pocket Cast. One is that just like any podcast catcher, I guess these days, it has the ability to allow you to either speed up the rate at which you listen to podcasts, also cut out all of those little uh, spaces where there's no talking that's happening. But what I love about that is it keeps track of all that stuff. Yeah. And then in the stats section, it lets you know how much time you've saved. And that is intensely satisfying. Like to know how I much know. time you've saved by speeding up her podcasts or by trimming the silence or by using the variable speed or skipping. So to this point, I've saved over two days, allegedly, which there's something in me that feels warm and fuzzy when I think about yeah. the fact that I've saved two days listening to stuff that I would normally listen to, but now I've skipped it. So that's the first thing. The second thing that I really like about this 
is the filtering is like straight on point. So you can create yeah. what they call filters. We might call like groups or little subsections of how you want to organize your podcast. So of course yeah. you can do it by topic, which is what I've done. You can just select them, but there's another super sweet thing that I like. And that is it allows you to filter by time of the podcast. Yes, this is new. Yes. So this, do you know this? Are you using yeah, this app? I, I use Pocket Cast now. Get out of here. I was a I major Beyond that. Pod fan, but they don't have Beyond. I've switched to iPhone. They don't have Beyond Pod anymore. They don't. IPhone. And so yeah. this is the, this is where I ended up. Did we just have the same experience as totally different people? Yeah. I mean, we're not, we're, we're basically the same person, but <laughs> I don't, I don't really use that feature, but I, it's a, it's a good feature that I understand why it exists. And it's, it's Yeah. Carry on. I affirm your affirmation, so I'm not going to interrupt it. No. So well, I'll keep it quick then. So I just jumped into this with the, using the filter by the time, like literally the running time of the podcast. And I created a whole filter that's just what I call shortcasts. So you know, yeah. like you're in the car or you know how long you're going to drive or you're going to walk, or you're going to run or whatever it is. And usually that's less than four hours. So it's so nice to be able to just pull up that list of stuff that's like within 20 to 40 minutes yeah. and play it out. The last thing I really love, and I'm curious for how you feel about this, is one of the things I found that has been super helpful to me that I haven't seen in many other places is kind of the ability to create your own custom playlist on the fly. Yeah. So I love that by like a quick swipe, if I'm going to work or I'm in the car, I can arrange in order very quickly the podcast I want to listen to by going down through the episode. So if like I want to listen to something about that's like, let's say like more technical finance, and then I want to intersperse that with some theology. I just go back through and swipe that real quick. And now I've got a custom playlist that I created just for that trip or just for that morning or for whatever, but yeah. it only exists in that moment. I'm not actually locking myself into always listening to in this order or just to listening to like a, a group that's in the filter. So I find those things amazing. So the stat stuff is just super cool. The ability to skip stuff. That's pretty awesome. And to see how much time it's taken and how much time you've saved the ability to create your own custom playlist and then the ability to sort or filter in a pretty profound way. All yeah. super awesome. Yeah. The one thing I miss about beyond pod is their smart playlists. So if for some crazy reason, some developer at B at pod pocket cast, here's this, that needs to be added. But this is one thing that I do like about this uh, podcast is if you go into the actual show itself, there's a little arrow next to the show's logo. And if you push that down, it gives you a little bit more information about it. Right. So it'll tell you like the name of the show and it tells you how frequently the podcast releases. Yes. And then it gives you an estimate of when the next episode is expected. And I would just like to say, now this is a computer, so we know that it's right. It says that the next <laughs> episode of Fast God Stuff is supposed to air on September 14th. So I'm expecting something amazing on September 14th. I, I'm going to throw in my own little uh, piggyback affirmation here. The Fast God Stuff podcast, if you don't listen to the Fast God Stuff podcast, you need to check it out because although it doesn't release as frequently as some podcasts, the reason for that, and I know this from having a little bit of behind the scenes knowledge of the production process and how much time and effort goes into producing a good high quality podcast, is it's an amazing show. And, you know, I think as it's gotten more and more conversational, um, as Conrad and Jesse have developed their own kind of back and forth and it's become more relational and, and more uh, personalized, I think it's just gotten better and better. And I love my favorite thing about it lately is like these little voices. Or I, I should say they're not voices that Conrad does. <laughs> they're guest speakers on the show. Uh, I don't know how he does it, how he gets these people. This German guy on the last episode. It's amazing. That is super kind. I appreciate it. Yes, sometimes they accidentally practice divination. They did that once. That was <laughs> bad. But other than that, it was pretty good. You never know what you're going to get. So, well, then, That's would true. you also agree that this is a pretty decent podcast app? Like, if you ended yeah. up here, I actually feel like I'm totally affirmed in my affirmation because yeah. I've, I've searched around quite a bit. And here's, here's the interesting thing. And I know this because of like the, the small amount of podcasting experience that you and I've had. What's interesting is when I look at, for like the Fast God Stuff podcast, when I look at the metrics for downloads and stuff like that, I'm actually amazed, I, like seriously blown away by the amount of people that listen to podcasts on like the native iOS yeah. application. It's yeah. well over 50%, well yeah. over. So it's really interesting they have a dominated market there. 
And so I was on a hunt then to look and see what are other people using. This is still in the minority, but I actually yeah. really like this. Yeah, well, what they've done is they've taken the basic sort of functionality that Apple Podcast has and they've added to it. So like it's it's organized and it functions almost identically like the, like the native Apple Podcast app. But like one of the big complaints, and I probably would use the Apple podcast. You and I have talked about this off the air. I probably would use the Apple podcast app, except that it it limits you to two times speed. Yes. There's no, you can't go faster. So for people who want to listen faster than two times, there's no option there. Um, You know, so I think it's great. And most of these apps are using Apple's directory anyways. So like anything you can get on iTunes or on Apple podcasts, you can get in this. Um, the one thing that I, they changed recently that I'm not a huge fan of, but it is what it is, is it's a subscription based app now. Um, so like it used to be that you could, you purchase the app. It was a one-time purchase. Right. And then there was some added, um, there was some added functionality you could use as a subscription. I think like their web app was the biggest thing. And I had actually paid for the lifetime subscription to their web app. It was like $10 at a, at the time it was like nothing. And, um, so I have like a lifetime subscription to their service, but if you're a new user, you have to pay a certain amount of, of subscription right. fee, which is meh, whatever. I mean, people got to make their money. It's it's, they're not running a charity. So I don't, I don't begrudge them that, but I wish that it was a little bit more affordable or a little bit less expensive. I'm with so. you. Yeah. Check it out. It's, it's a yeah, decent it's way to listen to us. I think hopefully I would love to say that we had some sort of like secret coupon code that could get, but we don't. <laughs> So maybe we should. We should. If you again, if you happen to be a developer at Pocket Cast that's listening to this show, send us an email and we'll we'll tell you how to fix it. Here's what I love about our podcast is I think it's possible somebody could listen to it and get the sense that there's something like clandestine happening here, that there's like some prerogative. <laughs> and what's so funny is we have zero coupon codes. Like when we get passionate no. about the recommendations or the affirmations like I just did, and I realize in hindsight, it's probably like a little bit preachy, like the whole Pocket Cast thing. We're legitimately just excited. Like we actually have yeah. no horse in this race at all. We've had people contact us and ask us if we want to do po- like like coupon codes, and we don't have any like ethical or moral. I just never get back to them. <laughs> I have like an email sitting in my in basket from Logos from like like five and a half months ago that I just have never written back to them and said, "Yeah, we're in." So. Yeah, I don't know. We we only talk about stuff we actually like. Yeah, we're just, we're just lazy. So speaking of that, what do you like this week? What are you affirming? So I have been on a quest. This is actually a very similar kind of genesis Ooh, to your I'm app, super your excited app podcast here. I've been on a quest because usually uh, there's an app concept that I I know I want and I can't find exactly that. So I try to make it, and like the only programming language that I know is like Microsoft spreadsheets, which. It's not the best way to do programming. So I tried to make my own reading plan calculator and I got pretty okay. close. But for some reason, uh, like the longer plans, it would gain extra pages. So like I would say I want to finish by December 31st and somewhere there's a rounding error or calculation error or something and it would get to December 31st and I'd be like 75 pages past the end of the book. So I've been on this quest to find something that does what I wanted to do, and I found it. And all I wanted it to do was for me to plug in the first page I want to read and the last page I want to read and how many days I want to take to read it and for it to generate like a real plan, which okay. I can do in Logos, speaking of Logos, uh, but I can't do that for books that I don't have in Logos. And it, I would be lying if I said there wasn't books in my Logos library that I bought that I have hard copies of just because I wanted to generate a reading plan. But I found it. And I actually, this will tell you how exciting, how excited I am about this. I actually went to the trouble to create a redirect on our webpage so that I could get people to this because <laughs> here's, here's the URL for anyone who wants to actually go to the URL. It's codepen.io slash T-I-F-F-U-F-U slash pen slash capital O-Y-R-B-M capital W. So in case you didn't catch that, and we all know that I'm not going to put it in the show notes, you can go to reformbrotherhood.com slash reading plan, and it will automatically redirect you to this website. It's not anything complicated. It's just, it probably took like, it was probably like some first year programmers, like first homework project. But all it does is it's a big page. It says, I need to read between pages blank and blank in blank days. You put that in and it tells you what to read on day one, day two, day three. It's perfect. So check it out. Go to our page, reformbrotherhood.com slash reading plan. And anything that has a page number or a location number, some sort of like 
like uh, numerical ordered listing you can put in here and, and use it to calculate out. It's really sweet. It's super easy. Wait, so this I'm just checking this out in real time. So this is literally like somebody's coding project almost. Like yeah. it's just so it could it, disappear. I mean, it may be that it goes away. I don't know. But um yeah, it's it's literally the simplest thing out there. It really probably was like someone's first like first coding project they did for like freshman coding. I don't even know if that's a class. But yeah, it's really straightforward. You just put in your pages you want to read and the number of days Look you want to this. read it in. Yeah. And it gives you a plan. So this goes back to my whole thing about last week where you recommended an application that was, again, like a, just a wonderfully simple but succinct way to track progress yeah. in trying to change some kind of behavior or habits. And this is the same thing. I'm going back to this whole idea that simple solutions are just elegant and beautiful yep. and that often what we need is somebody to direct us in you know, like the progress that we need to make in some kind of project. So reading is one of those things. I feel like it's wonderful to have a reading schedule and who wants to put that together yourself. So even though this might sound like a, come on, like you want somebody to tell you how many pages to read per day. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what I'm asking is somebody to tell me how many pages to read per day. And and you know, it's not that complicated of a concept. And this is what was so frustrating to me. No matter what I tried to do with the Microsoft spreadsheet version of this that I made, I could not get it to come out right. I tried rounding up. I tried rounding down. I tried every <laughs> other line rounding up versus down. I just could not get it to actually come out to some sort of final process that that matched. It drove me nuts. And um, so this did it. It's it's super simple. And it's, I mean, it's everything you're looking for. It's it's just an easy solution. I've got to ask, so, how did you find this? How did you stumble upon this webpage? I'm a little bit ashamed that I didn't do this like six months ago when I set out on this project. I typed in automatic reading plan calculator into Google <laughs> and it was the second result. Now, in my defense, this is like one of those um, code like repository websites where people store their code right. that they like little apps that they've written, like open source kind of apps. So it's very possible that when I first did this, that I looked and it, it didn't exist yet. Although I doubt it. I think probably I just never actually looked. I think I probably tried to figure it out myself first and just couldn't, but yeah, it's super simple. It's beautiful. It's elegant. I'm going to use this. I love it. Although yeah. now I really want to try to do it in Microsoft Excel as well, because if that you just figure sounds- it out, I've got a whole, I've got a really complicated reading plan thing that I built in Excel that this is the one piece of it that doesn't work that I can't figure out. So if you figure it out, then please <laughs> let me know. Cause um, my little Excel spreadsheet will change the world of reading. Here's, here's what's making me laugh though, is because, so, you know, Excel is like a tool of course of like, epic proportions when it comes to modeling. Yeah. And so it cracks me. It would be hilarious if at the end of the day, people were like, I have modeled like advanced, like takeover bids and yeah. financial calculations and cash flows and stuff like that. But here's the one thing that I can't get Excel to do is I that know, accurately is estimate plan. the number of pages that I need to read over well, see, a period here's, of time. Here's the problem, right? So if I say <laughs> I want to read between page, this is going to mock me and come out with one, like an example that doesn't work. Yes. Let's say that I want to read between pages 58 and 290, 249, okay. and I want to do it in 37 days, mm-hmm. right? This reading plan tells me that I have to read 5.19 pages every day, and I would finish in 37 days. So now if I put that into a reading plan calculator that I created, it's going to have rounding errors. And that's what happens is it'll either round up or round down. But either way, I'm going to either I'm going to be too many pages or too short pages. And so what this does the, pr- the programming of this is it keeps track of those round, presumably, I'm not a coder, I don't know, but what I would think it's doing is it keeps track of those rounding errors and it adds a correction every so often yes. to put it back on track. I just don't know how to do that in Excel. I don't know how to do that or in Google Sheets or wherever I'm doing it. Um, you know, it's it's just like a leap year, like it throws in a leap reading yes, day I was where say you that. have to read. We're right. You have an extra page that's added onto one day. And I know enough about math to know that 0.19 is basically 0.2. And so every five <laughs> days, it's adding roughly a page. But I don't know how to make Excel do that. And it's driving me a little bit nuts. Oh, that's so great. By the way, I should apologize that the laugh I have going on right now sounds a bit like a hyena because I have a little bit of a cold <laughs> or some kind of like coronavirus. Throat. You isn't, have a little bit of coronavirus. There, no, 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 no. By God's grace, thankfully not that. 
But what is that? Do you remember like old school Looney Tunes or some kind of like animated short? There's like a dog that laughs and it's like the. <laughs> like I that? have no idea what, do you you're know what I'm talking, talking about. about? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, I do. It's, um, I can see it in my face. He's brown. Yes. He's standing yes. upright like a hunchback. Yes, yes. What is that? I, I mean, I feel like he's really a bad guy. I, he's a bad guy. He's like, yes. a, he's like the, the, do, the bad guy's dog. I don't know. Yes. I feel like it's it like, might be Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's like the blind. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. It's like the blind leading the blind here, but I'm just glad that I, I didn't, I can confirm I didn't make that up and you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. But that's what, that's what came to my mind. I know who you're talking about though. Yeah. This great has been great so far. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. What are you denying besides this last segment where we talked about this mystery cartoon character? No, this was, listen, that was everything I wanted and more. So this week, I uh, will keep it quick. I'm going to deny against an inability or an unwillingness to examine theological presuppositions. Cool. And mainly all of my denials of this nature really, I think, are just cloaked denials of Arminianism. But that being <laughs> as it may, with respect to being in deference and with respect to our brothers and sisters. But this, this just kind of keeps coming back to me from time to time. It's just the idea that I sometimes hear people make arguments like, well... Calvinists have their verses and Arminians have their verses. And of course, even that perspective is so wrong because it, it, it pulls the Bible apart as if there's like two dichotomous views on the scriptures and what God yeah. is doing through his eternal plan of salvation. So I, I just, I, I guess I'm just um, wanting us all to be in a place where we're willing to have our theology tested. And I'm not certainly saying that like we should at every moment be willing to upend all of our theology, but I'm also not saying that we should be so tied to it that we're not willing to hear what is good argumentation yeah. both logically and from the scriptures to help us evaluate what it is that we're saying that we mean. And I think that probably most of us, me myself included, don't have like a really good test of our theological acumen or our convictions with respect to the fact that it ought to comport to the scriptures, but it also must be internally consistent and cogent. Yeah. And I think that the latter part is something that I see a lot of Christians struggle with is They'll it confess a particular theological perspective, particularly, again, our Armenian brothers and sisters. But when it comes time to their practical application, the way in which they're living out their lives in fidelity to the scriptures, which I believe that they're doing, I find that that actually stands in contradistinction to the thing that they just confessed with their mouths. So yeah. it's, it's wanting to get all these things aligned because there's beauty and freedom in that. It isn't like who's right, who's wrong. It's what does the Bible say and what does Jesus teach us? So... I'm just denying against an inability or, or a lack of willingness to really be tested when it comes to yeah. our theology. Yeah. I mean, plot twist, they're all Calvinist passages. But, <laughs> you know, actually, Fair uh, enough. Uh, not to fast forward too much to our topic, although we should get to that eventually, uh, that actually is like a similar situation to the way that most people approach this passage that we're going to mm -hmm. talk about tonight. So, So we'll have that little, like, trailer for the show here. But you're right, like, it, and it's not just Arminians that fall prey to this, right? Calvinists no, can do it too, where, you know, we you, you get confronted with a passage like out of Second Peter where it says they betray the master who bought them. And instead of doing the hard work to understand yes. what that passage means in context, you kind of like wave your hand at it like, well, no, 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 it doesn't, it can't mean... It can't mean that somebody actually apostatizes from the faith instead of doing the hard work of figuring out, well, what, what does apostasy mean? Maybe I need to rethink what I think apostasy is it, rather than like just kind of assume that this passage means something other than it might mean. Right. So, yeah, I think that's a good it's a good corrective for a lot of us. All right. How about you? So I denied this last week, but I'm going to keep it up. I'm denying Double. L.A. County again. So. The the ongoing saga of John MacArthur versus Los Angeles County is very interesting to watch. So for those of you who live under a rock or are listening to this 20 years from now when history has forgotten that this happened, um, you know, I love how I think people are still going to be listening to this episode 20 <laughs> years from now. Uh, so MacArthur, John MacArthur basically said um, the restrictions that the government are putting on churches are too specific and they are too... Uh, they're too much. And so we're going to disobey the civil authorities. We're going to continue to meet. Los Angeles County made all sorts of things that ended up being empty threats, right? They, they said like, well, we're going to shut off the power. We're going to shut off your water. And, and so MacArthur eventually sued them. And he initially won um, a 
sort of a temporary injunction where the lower level court said you can continue to meet inside, but we are going to ask you to wear masks. MacArthur uh, said, fine, we'll wear masks. We'll practice social distancing. And Los Angeles County came back and appealed and initially won the appeal. Right. And MacArthur said, well, in case you can't read, Caesar is not the head of the church and we don't care what you say. So we're going to do it anyways because you don't own me. You're not the boss of me is essentially their argument. And in, in the grand scheme of things, I'm making a little bit light of it, but they don't own them. The, the church, right. Caesar is not the head of the church. And so MacArthur uh, said, well, we're going to continue to meet. And this is the funniest part. And I, I'm denying and keep in mind when we did our civil disobedience episode, we made the point that we are to honor uh, civil magistrates, not just in their office, but in their persons. I don't actually know any of the specific individuals involved in this, but Los Angeles County apparently is run by people who can't read because when they went back and said, fine, we're going to ask the court to hold you in contempt of court. And we're going to levy multiple tens of thousands of dollars of fines on you. The court went, I don't know what you're talking about. There is no church. There's no court order for them not to meet which would cause them to be in contempt of the court. Right. So I'm denying Los Angeles County for continuing. At this point, I think persecution might be an appropriate term. I don't know that they're persecuting John MacArthur's church specifically because they're Christians, but they're certainly persecuting them as sort of like re rebels in the cause. Like they're, they're right. seeing them as people who need to be shut down because they're, they're resisting the authority. So they're persecuting them in that sense. But they're also apparently filled with people who don't understand the laws of their own jurisdiction because they asked for the court to hold them in contempt of a court order that didn't exist. So I'm denying Los Angeles County because it be, is becoming more and more clear that they have no rational basis for their desire to levy punishment and fine against John MacArthur, which, again... I think that the way that John MacArthur has reopened his church is actually very foolish. I think that he's being unwise by not requiring masks and not requiring social distance. Um, that's a separate issue to the civil disobedience thing right. in which I support him. But I'm denying Los Angeles County because it's become clear that there's no rational basis in the law for them to behave the way that they are behaving towards Grace Community Church. And John MacArthur as an individual specifically now. They're trying I, – I think it's funny because somebody somebody the other day said to me, like, what, what are they doing? And I said, yeah, what do they think they're going to do, throw an 81-year-old pastor in jail? Because they're definitely not. Like, at this point, these are all basically empty threats. And, right. and I think they're trying to call John MacArthur's bluff. And this just proves that they know nothing about John MacArthur. Because for all that he is and all the things he's accused of being, he's not going to back down from a fight. He's not right. the kind of person that's going to back down from a fight. You, They will have to throw him in jail to stop him from preaching on Sunday morning if that's what he has set himself to do. And I, I really just don't think they're going to do that. And I think Agreed. what they're proving... And this is, I'm trying to be respectful, but I think they're proving themselves to basically be like puffed up cowards. Like they're saying that they're right. going to do certain things, but then they don't actually have the gumption to do it. And I think they're proving that they recognize that what they're doing is wrong. You know, this kind of goes back to that Romans one thing. Like they know what they're yes. doing is wrong. Yes. They understand that they're, they're doing something that is unethical, that's illegal probably. And they don't seem to care, but when it comes down to it, they're not really to actually put themselves on the line and take the risk of doing it when they, you know, apparently this is the most important thing in the world to them, but they're not actually going to shut off the power like they say they're going to do or levy the fines that they say they're going to levy or arrest John MacArthur like they say they're going to. Maybe in the next week and a half, I'm going to be proven wrong and they're actually going to arrest John MacArthur and put him in jail, but I really doubt it. Right. I agree. I was actually going to say, do we need to bring back the Adventures in Romans 1 segment? So yeah, you exactly. literally just beat me to it. Thank you. Like I said, we're, we're the same person more or yeah, less. Apparent, apparently, so. but I totally agree with you there in something, again, there's a lot there for us to look at and maybe watch and pray for, of course, and also take note of. So I think yeah. that this is like a really unique, I mean, what a time to be alive, right? Yeah. Really? I mean, there's, there's so much happening in the world and so much that God is doing in our world. This is certainly God's hand moving among his people. And yeah. I think in many ways, strengthening and encouraging them by testing their faith. And so yeah. this is happening both at a local level with respect to how we're meeting together and how we're honoring one another and the choices we make, but also at this national level with respect to John MacArthur. And certainly I would not want to be in the position he's in, in, in terms of leadership, like the mantle he's carrying is one that is substantial. And so I think that 
we are indebted to pray for him and yeah. to certainly ask the Lord that he would bless all of the workings that are going on there so that there might be a really strong testimony that comes out of this. That one yeah. that's abstracted from the political reality is more centered on Jesus Christ himself and obedience yeah. to the gospel. I think that's the kind of thing we should all be really hoping for here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we get into our topic? And Jesse, you know, I'm really glad that you proposed this topic, which I'll let you introduce in a second. But the reason I'm glad that you proposed this topic is because I have no idea what the answer to this question is. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to you explaining it to me. Yeah, right. Well, I'm looking forward to us discussing it. In some ways, it's of course not entirely divorced from the situation which we all find ourselves yeah. in right now. But let me start by giving the passage I thought would be the foil for our conversation on this episode. It's from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and it's chapter one. He's right in the beginning of his writing, and he says this in verse 24, and I'm going to read just two verses. He writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And I think many Christians have come across this verse, whether you've stumbled across it or it's been in the course of your readings or in study or in teaching. And I think oftentimes this is one of those verses that if it's not a stumbling block, it's a hurdle because we get to it and there's a lot of language in here. And when we juxtapose it against what the rest of the scriptures teaches, the full counsel of God, we understand something, I think, about what Paul's saying here, his, his main theme, the meat of what he's going after. And yet at the same time, we're kind of like, what are you talking about, Paul? What is this filling yeah. up? What is lacking in Christ's sacrifice that you're making such a big deal about to draw attention to? And so I thought this would be a good place for us to speak because there is something, at least of a tangent, into what's going on in the world. And I, I think maybe it's first, let's, let's start with what this thing, with this verse cannot mean. Yeah. Let's start there at least. And so I have my own ideas of what this means. And I think maybe they're a little bit off center with respect to the fact that I don't think it's one thing in particular, but maybe a couple of things if I, as I've tried to process this, but it might be easier to start with, here's what we know for sure it's not. And I would start with, Paul is not saying that the redemptive sufferings of Jesus on the cross are deficient or incomplete right. or needs to be supplemented by something that Paul or any of us might supply. All of the Christian writers, all of the apostles make clear that Christ's death has once for all secured eternal redemption yeah. and is perfect and altogether sufficient. I also don't think it means, but some have said this, that Paul is referring to the afflictions he endures for the sake of Christ in order to glorify God and advance the cause of the kingdom. Now, in a, in a way, I think that's true, but it doesn't explain this weird phrase, which I think is at the heart of what that makes this so yeah. perplexing, which is what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It doesn't account for how Paul can fill up or complete them or what is absent in them. And then the last thing I would say it doesn't mean is some would appeal to this as some kind of like typological meeting that like Paul is you can be think of he's thinking of his sufferings as being those of like Christ and the sufferings of Jesus were some type of prefigurement of what all Christians would encounter and so Paul's sufferings then correspond to those of Jesus and again that's true in some sense but it, yeah. again, it fails to explain this lack of what Christ suffered or how Paul filled them up so to me those are like three things that stand out as it's not what this means and I want to start there. Like when you read this verse, what does it not mean? So we can shut down maybe people reading this and getting the wrong impression right away. Yeah. Well, so I did a debate with a Roman Catholic about purgatory. Um, gosh, it must have been. <laughs> By the way, that is the best way to like just go into this like answer. <laughs> yeah. It, it must have been four years ago, maybe. And, and I'll be honest, like at the time I was praying that this verse did not come up because this is like a hallmark verse that is used to justify yes. by the yes. by the papists. Right. It's used to justify their doctrine of indulgence and and the vicarious suffering of the saints and the supererogatory works of the saints. Like this is a verse that they use. It's it's one of the only verses in the New Testament, along with uh First Corinthians three, 
that actually sort of gives them some footing in the scripture. And this goes back to what we were talking about with the Armenians is that there are a number of verses in the scripture throughout the scripture that are challenging verses for, for Calvinists to integrate into their, their overall systematic theology, right? We would be lying if there weren't, if we said there weren't verses that were difficult for us to understand. And that at least at the first look on the surface appear to stand contradictory to our the our thesis, our overall systematic thesis, right? Right. I mentioned the one out of Second Peter with the the people who de- you know de- denied the master that bought them, right? So we know that those verses exist, and this is one of those. But this does not, and this is this is where that consistency element you're talking about earlier. There isn't a Catholic writer alive who would acknowledge if you ask them flat out. Was there something? Was there something insufficient about Christ's sacrifice? Right. Even they know that the wrong, the answer, the answer yes is wrong. Right. That that's not the right answer. So so they have to try to like integrate this in their way. But this does at first glance give give sort of the sufficiency of Christ. It, it looks at first like it's saying that Christ's sacrifice wasn't sufficient. And I would I would be lying if I said I didn't go to the Greek and hope there was some sort of like fancy way to explain it by appealing to the Greek language. And some some writers have done that. Some commentators have looked at the word that that means sort of filling up and it has to do with like coming behind somebody and sort of like fulfilling their office after them, even though right. they were sufficient to their office. Like you might you might use this term in reference to like one governor who fulfilled his office and then this person comes behind them and fulfills the same office. I don't think that that shade of meaning in that word is going to going to help us out of this all that much. I think instead, you know, what's my motto when it comes to difficult passages? Just read a little bit more. And so I think that the first step for us to really understand what this isn't meaning is to just read a little bit more. So if you look just prior, the the the, the like eight verses previous, it's talking about Christ is preeminent. He's the creator and ruler of all things. He has has reconciled us to the Father. Right so on. so it in order to understand or believe this in the way that Roman Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, some Armenians, I think would would answer this to to understand this as saying like well Paul is saying that he's somehow doing something that supplies some kind of merit that Christ himself did not supply that then the fo- the churches following him have access to um or some sort of purgatory system where where we're able to kind of in ourselves we're able to suffer out the you know further our sanctification by suffering and complete our sanctification by suffering um, whether or not we can do that on behalf of somebody else. In order to say that, you have to basically think that Paul completely flipped his theology around right. between uh, verse like 21 and verse 24. And even if you look, you know, just a few verbal parallels, the in verse 19, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So we already have this language of fullness coming through this, this text that we have to really look at the whole passage to understand what it's saying. And even just in this immediate context, if even if you pretend this is the only biblical document in the New Testament canon, even just this one section of Colossians refutes the idea that somehow Christ's sufferings and what he did on behalf of his people did, didn't cut it or didn't quite complete right. the job. Right. You know, sometimes it, it seems to me that we levy or we bring upon the scriptures like an unfair criticism, because if you and I have a conversation, like, I don't know, say we're talking about some kind of family matter or something like tremendously important that's complicated, it has emotional consequences, and it has I don't know, relational consequences. And I think if we're trying to explain and dissect what's going on between people, we're going to use words. And it's very possible that at some point along the way, we might say to one another, no, 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 that, that's not exactly what I meant. What I'm trying to explain is like this particular nuanced thing. And so I think we'd say, oh, okay, I understand what you're saying now. With the scriptures, sometimes we just say, well, if it, it can only mean this thing because I can only take it on the face of what we're talking about here out of context and just with respect to like the actual word he's using it in the strictest or maybe even a really narrow definition. Yeah. And it clearly, of course, Paul is using finite language, but he's trying to get after something in particular. And so it's unfair to say, well, I'm just going to he said that he's filling up something right. that's lacking. And therefore I have to say that, you know, when it means what lacking means is that it can only mean one thing that we're talking about the salvific ramifications of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, even after he's just given this really long discourse and just really, he starts the letter out saying right away what he means. And then he's trying to go into some, I think more nuanced explanation of something else that's in particular, that's not condemning or standing in distinction to what he just said. And so I think that's like an important thing for us to remember here because it's hard to fathom 
that anything could be lacking from Christ's afflictions. And it's even harder to see how a mere human being's suffering could fill up whatever it was. So on the face, on that face, I would say, can we not cut Paul some slack and say, well, clearly that's what he's not saying here is that Jesus wasn't sufficient or that his death wasn't efficient. That seems almost too obvious. So then what is it that he's after? And where I started with this in thinking about it was, I kind of did, I mean, my Greek is, is far, far worse than yours. Yours is fantastic. But I did Mine's go back to this great, idea but... of taking a look at saying, well, where else are we seeing these ideas and these concepts? So yeah. in my just like quick estimation, I looked and the word lacking like appears, I guess, at least eight times in seven other New Testament passages outside of Colossians 124. But what I found that was maybe helpful for our conversation is that there's at least two other passages where the word is used in the same way, in the same type of context. It's often used in relationship to money, in speaking about money as its own uh, example metaphor for some other spiritual truth. But here, I found it at least in two places. And clearly, we're talking about this question of suffering and how it is that Paul's sufferings can fill up or expand or take over the void that is Christ's sufferings. And so here are the other two, and this is where I'm curious for your perspective on this. Uh, I think these are helpful in our context. One is 1 Corinthians 16, 7. Paul says, I rejoice in the coming of Stephanas. He mentions a couple other people here. Because they have made up for your absence, that is the lacking, for they refresh my spirit as well as yours, give recognition to such people. And so here it's as if Paul is giving thanks for the arrival of these three dudes who have super sweet names because they literally filled up your lack. So there's this idea that seems to be that the presence of these three men made up for the absence of the Corinthian Christians in Paul's life. Right. So what was lacking in 1 Corinthians 16, 17 was the physical presence of certain Christians within the church of Corinth. They could not be with Paul physically. And this lack was filled up then by the coming of these three individuals. And the second one I'll mention in short, it would be Philippians 2.30. Paul writes there to the church of Philippi. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So it's almost the same type of situation. Paul tells us about the mystery of Epaphroditus, who was sent by the Philippian church to deliver financial gifts to Paul in support of his ministry. And so it appears again, as though the only thing that was lacking from the Philippian church, from the, their gift to Paul, was their own physical presence. Yeah. So they could not be with Paul in person to deliver their gift. So they sent Epaphroditus to complete what was lacking by delivering their gift on their behalf. So to me, what I'm starting to see in here, there's a pattern of this lacking a physical representation, a manifestation. This is separate and distinct from, especially when we look at the Philippians 2 passage, distinct from like the full power of what's happening here with respect to, how do I want to say this? Like the gift giving is separate from the representation of the gift itself. The gift right. is already present. It's this representation that comes to the physical presence of Epaphroditus. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that's the direction I would go. And I think you're right. Like there's not necessarily, <laughs> well, there's not necessarily any one particular answer to this. I don't want to call it a conundrum because it, right. The, this is one of those things, um, as much as I'm not a huge fan of some of these extra ecclesiastical um, semi-confessional statements, the biblical, the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy is very helpful, where it says, since we affirm that the script, this is a paraphrase, but since we affirm that the scripture is utterly consistent with itself, then any any inconsistency that cannot be reasonably reconciled, we should assume is some sort of default within ourselves. And actually, Augustine said that like 1500 years before that. Yes. But it's some sort of inconsistency within ourselves. It's a weakness in ourselves. And we should trust that God will one day make clear, even if it's not until the resurrection, how those things are consistent. So I don't know that I would, would necessarily go that direction, but I think it's a viable, viable way to look at it. And it's important to understand, you know, that Christ says like, he's going to go away, but he gives us the Holy spirit as his presence. But there is still that physical element that I think you're pointing out that you're right. These other places it's used, it's very similar. But the other, the other place that I go with this text and this, this is where Calvin goes, excuse me, is 
there's an element where we have to recognize the solidarity of Christ with his church. And we have a tendency to read this. And like you said, we read it very flatly on the surface and then we go, I don't know what this means. So where it says, um, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. We're automatically thinking Christ as a person, con- you know, distinct from his church, which right. is called his body. And so we, we think that Paul is saying he's filling up some sort of some sort of affliction that was lacking in Christ as a person on behalf of the body, which is the church. But in reality, we have to always remember and, and think about the fact that not in the Roman Catholic sense, because the Roman Catholic Church actually believes that the institutional church is the ongoing incarnation of Christ. We're not going there. But Paul makes a distinction here that I think this is my, my principle. Like, just read a little bit more. Just read a little bit more. He says here in verse... Um, uh, let's see. I lost it here. Verse 21. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing deeds, uh, doing evil deeds. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by right. his death in order to present you holy and blameless. So Paul has already talked about Christ and he, he specifies, he's talking about Christ's body of flesh. But now that we're down here in just a few passages later, he's not talking about Christ's body of flesh. He talks about his body. That is the church. So that clarification that he offers of saying, that, that Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, he's not talking about his body in the flesh. He's talking about his body in the metaphor, which is the church or in the right. organic union, union and unity, which is the church. And so the way, the way that Calvin goes, and I don't think this is necessarily at odds with what you're saying, but the way that Calvin goes is he's talking about these afflictions that he's filling up that Paul is fulfilling. It's not afflictions in what was lacking in Christ as a person's suffering, but it's afflictions in the suffering that the church would have to go forward. And so yes. what Paul is essentially saying here, uh, according to Calvin, and I, I think he's probably on the right track, is that Paul is thankful. He rejoices that he can suffer for the sake of the, the Colossians so that the Colossians don't have to suffer. And this is why I actually think this is a really timely, time, you know, really timely look at this passage. In a lot of ways, that's what John MacArthur is doing for a lot of yes. pastors. Right. He, exactly. he is putting himself on the line. He's exactly. filling up the afflictions on behalf of Christ so that the rest of the church doesn't have to. Yes. And that that's what Paul, when he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He's not saying um, that he is suffering because of the Corinthian of the Colossians here. Right. Sometimes he says in, of the Corinthians, he's suffering because of the Corinthians, because the Corinthians are really giving him a hard time about things. What he's saying about the Colossians is he's suffering in the stead of, right? It's a different Greek word. It's a different Greek construct. It's not, he's not suffering because of what the Colossians are doing or because of something that the Colossians have brought about. He's suffering in the place of the Colossians, which is something that, and this, this is going to sound controversial, but it's really not. It's something that the person of Christ can't do for us right now. Right. Not that he, exactly. not that he couldn't, right. I suppose. That's what he's saying. But that he's not doing it for us right now. Right. So he's saying, Paul is saying here. He is going ahead and he's taking that step. He's willing to take the suffering. He rejoices in taking the suffering so that the Colossian church doesn't have to. So he's fulfilling the suffering of Christ so that the Colossian church doesn't have to. At least that at that point in time was the truth and was his aim. So I think that 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 is a, a good point for us to think about as we think about not just suffering in terms of natural evil, which is where most of our minds go right now in terms of right. coronavirus and, you know, danger in the world, but in terms of suffering at the hands of moral evil, whether that's at the hands of um, the government who might be oppressing our churches or at the hands of violent evildoers, where maybe we're actually taking a physical beating so that someone else doesn't have right. to, or right. financially we're contributing to something so that someone else doesn't, you know, financially, maybe just a practical step. You can sacrifice your own comfort in a certain sense to your church so that your pastor's kids, for example, I'm, I'm really attuned to this. My wife is a pastor's kid. You are a pastor's kid. So I've heard, not in any sort of grudging way, but I've heard of things that your family had to go without when you were kids because dad wanted to, you know, dad was called to a church that didn't have a lot of means. And so there was lots of things that uh, physically speaking weren't available to the family that other families had. So a a Christian nowadays can say, you know, I'm going to sacrifice something that I desire, something that is good, that I want 
in order that I might be able to give more to my church so that my pastor's family doesn't have to suffer. That's, a, I think, a practical application of what Paul is getting at in this passage. Once again, you've beat me because that was going to be my second point. Because like, no, honestly, right on. Because that, I, for me, this seems like it's a at least a ladder with, of course, like two legs. Yeah. Because the, the first part, and this is where I do think it is relevant. It's relevant to John MacArthur in both parts. But for me, first of all, what we're talking about is it's lacking. What's lacking is a presentation, not a propitiation. So Christ was not physically present with the Colossians in his own right. suffering. And so it would appear that what Paul is saying here is, is something similar, namely that the only thing lacking from Christ's afflictions is that Christ was not physically present with the Colossian Christians as right. he suffered and died. He could not be there physically, like you were just saying. And as a result, the Colossian church could not witness the sufferings of Christ for themselves in person. But Paul's sufferings made up for that quote-unquote lack by showing the Colossian Christians the afflictions of Christ and his own suffering in almost maybe a similar way how when Christians can look upon John MacArthur and see what he is going through, what he is, how he's standing up for the sake of the gospel, that there's something in that it embodies or represents or shows the type of suffering that would be indicative of Christians who are ones with strong fidelity to the scriptures. And then as I would say, as a pair to that, like the second leg is that the afflictions of Paul were the afflictions of Christ. Right. So, the Christ suffered in and with Paul because of their spiritual union. Being in Christ means this very thing, of course. Right. And so in a sense, the sufferings of Paul and of all Christians for that matter are simply the continuation of the world's quarrel with our Lord. So Jesus, because of the brevity of his earthly life, did of course not bear the full brunt of the world's hatred and animosity. Right. Thus, we are all objects of it in his place. And so there is in this, I think, and maybe... I'm curious for whether or not you'd agree with this. Like there's something eschatological in view here. Here are the afflictions of Christ refer not to what Jesus suffered, but to those trials and tribulations that immediately precede the end of the age. Some of which are right. what some might call like the messianic woes. And so again, even in John MacArthur, we have, I think this embodied in some degree that because of union with Christ to attack Christ's people is to attack any specific Christian in particular. And so there is a filling up of the lacks, so to speak, by representing, again, this, I think there's just a presentation here and there's something powerful where John MacArthur is having attention drawn to himself, not by his own desire, but because of what he is doing. And so in doing that, Christians look to him to see how is it, what this, this lack in terms of understanding how, for, for, let me say it this way, how Christ might suffer in this particular situation. We're seeing how by union with the spirit being in Christ, how John MacArthur and his church is suffering in a similar way. So that there's a presentation, yeah. but of course that does not mean that the propitiation that came ahead of it, that actually proceeds or is the Genesis for this type of persecution is, doesn't remove the legitimacy or the efficacy of that that took place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I think about what this all boils down to, and again, this, this is a confusing passage. Like this is a hard text. It's not, it's not as though we are always going to come to a clean, easy, straightforward resolution of every right. passage. And, and I think it is possible. And I think this passage is a good example of when we do it, of just kind of like waving away, like hand waving away the complications. Right. But I, I think you're on the right track here. When we talk about this is that the, the point that Paul is making is that there are future sufferings, which the church is going to have to face. And at least so far, he has been able to suffer instead of the Colossians suffering, right? right. For the sake of this, the Colossians, not necessarily on their behalf, but in their place. And, and he's actually, th this is this is where I think we have to keep reading is right now he says, um, I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And then he says down here in verse 29, for this I toil struggling with all his energy, right? He's talking about God's right. energy that he powerfully works in me. So, so what Paul is saying is that he's, he's engaged in Christ's work. Th this is, I, I've, I've been vocal about my opposition to this phrase. So I'm going to use it with a little bit of, um, I don't know, a little bit of temerity here. He's being Jesus to the world. Right. He, he's the hands sure. and feet of Jesus here. Now, right. yeah. that phrase can go so wrong. And actually, if you go and listen, uh, Assurance of Pardon did a whole episode on on this passage and why or on this subject and this phrase and why it can go wrong. 
but there's a way that it can go right. And this is probably what most people think they mean when they say it, but it ends up going sideways real fast. But what Paul is saying here is he is acting the way Christ would act on behalf of Christ's people. He, he is throwing himself, you know, he says it, I forget exactly where it is, but he says like, oh, that I might be accursed from Christ so that my brethren could be with him, right? He, he says like he would, he would rather suffer the torments of hell Yes. Than to have his entire people of Israel suffer it instead. Right. And at first blush, you know, you think about that and you're like, wait a second, does doesn't that mean that he loves he loves the Israelites more than he loves Jesus because he would be willing to sacrifice his own union with Christ for the Israelites? And that sounds really impious, but that's exactly what Jesus was willing to do. Yes. Right? We don't we don't affirm that there was a concrete ontological separation according to divinity. But what we do affirm, and the historic reform tradition has affirmed, is that Christ took our God forsakenness on the cross. So whatever, whatever was happening on the cross, however we explain it, the, the covenant servant, the only righteous second Adam, took on what the first unrighteous Adam deserved so that all of the children of Adam could have what the second Adam deserved. Right. So he he took on hell. He took on the the torments of hell on the cross so that his people might be with God, which is exactly what Paul says he desires to do. And I think in a temporal sense, what Paul is saying he is doing and will continue to do on behalf of the Colossian church. He's throwing himself proverbially and literally he's throwing himself to the lions so that the others don't have to do it. Right. And that's something that we see again then throughout the history of the church is when when righteous men go forward and they they submit themselves to punishment on behalf of others so that others don't have to take it whether that's a martyr in in the martyrdom tradition or you know there were there were men in the reformation who threw themselves forward and kind of turned themselves over to the authorities in order to be punished so that others could escape there's a lot of stories out of the Scottish reformation where they'd be having these conventicle meetings out in the woods and the pastor would be preaching and then all of a sudden uh, Elizabeth's or Mary's forces would find them and the pastor would stand there preaching while everyone ran and draw all the attention and then he would be executed. And that's the kind of suffering on behalf of the body, the filling up of the afflictions of Christ's body, the church, that Paul is getting at here. Yeah, that's... that's that's what I'm only going to go into that weird snickering, heasy laugh again because that was... (laughs) Yeah, that was that's the one. that. Yeah, that's right on. Honestly, I think that's as as good a place as I need to leave this. I, I think maybe, just generally speaking, it's helpful to remember that even on verses like this or series of verses, which cause us to be a little bit perplexed, it's almost like God has for us in these like a double portion. When we really take the time to really sort through them and start trying to understand, pull up some resources, think through them, pray over them, I think He has something special for us in here. And there's something in our own context and our own time that drew me to this verse because I was thinking, man, there's so much that God is filling up the use of his people right now in this unique situation. And that gives me great hope because while there's so much out there where it seems like all is oppression, all is downcast, all is really this idea that uh, we're just being oppressed by all kinds of things, whether that's our political environment or the fact that we can't do the things we're normally used to doing. In the midst of this, I think God is doing perhaps his greatest, some of the greatest work he's done in our lifetimes. And it happens in hard verses like this, where he talks about filling up what is lacking in the work of Christ by way of these examples, this presentation. And so I think that that's like tremendously important. Yeah. The other thing that I think is important is that I did discover the name of the dog that laughs. Oh, like I was this. you're you're in front of me now. I just looked it up. <laughs> okay, what did you find? Who was it? Well, let's see if you get it right. I'm going to let you go first. You're going you're gonna to make me say Because there's actually a controversy about this, so you can oh, go Oh, get ahead. out. Is there really? Okay, there is, okay. yes. So I, did, I didn't do that much research. I'm coming up with Muttley, who was the foil to the cartoon villain, Dick Dastardly. Yes. So the fact that you said that phrase tells me that to get to the controversy, you just need to read a little bit farther on the Wikipedia article you're looking at. <laughs> because there is a controversy. This was made by Hanna-Barbera, which is the people who made Yogi Bear. Yeah. There was another character named Mumbly the dog who had the oh. same laugh, was drawn basically the same way, and then became the dog villain counterpart of the Dread Baron who also resembled Dick Dastardly. Probably what this is is that some they wanted to just use similar kinds of designs to yes. not have to redo it. 
I'm I'm looking at Mumbly right now. He yeah. looks remarkably like Muttley. Yeah. So I, in my mind, I had envisioned Muttley. I think because I yeah. do remember the the strange dude that he was with. I remember he didn't say anything. He just snickered a lot. Yeah, Muttley is a common GIF. If you look up giggle, oh, is it really like snicker and like uh, like the Facebook GIF application? You're gonna find Muttley. This is amazing. So the internet is an incredible place, of course, and. This Wikipedia article has so much biographical information on this. About a fake dog named Muttley that only ever snickers, yeah. Including that apparently he is, so as the name implies, he's a mutt. But apparently, maybe you saw this, mix a bloodhound pointer, Airedale, and hunting dog. (laughs) Yes. Meanwhile, the Wikipedia article on patristic scholar Donald Fairbairn (laughs) is stuff that I entirely put together for my own memory and then found sourcing for myself later. So sometimes their priorities uh, are a little off balance. Oh, that, I'm sorry. That makes me laugh so hard. That's, that's honestly the most hilarious thing I've heard all day. This will shock zero people. <laughs> I used to be very active in Wikipedia <laughs> editing. Very, very uh, active. Well, what, what was the last thing you edited? Like, what was the last time you actually edited something on Wikipedia? I think I added something snarky to somebody's article and I actually found a source that justified it. And then I spent an, an, probably an inappropriate amount of time arguing for why that snarky comment should stay in the article. Because what you don't see, <laughs> you could see it, but what most people don't see is that behind articles, there's a whole discussion board that's associated with the article where people argue about whether or not such and such a citation is appropriate or whether this sure. this statement represents too much personal tone. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole world of Wikipedia editing. Yeah. Not to throw like additional confrontation and drama into the very <laughs> last minutes of the episode, but this just reminded me of things that maybe we've we've talked about or we've mentioned before. And I know that we talked about this, but I can't remember. Are you pro or against dust jackets? I am a, I am pro dust jackets until I'm done reading the book and then I get rid of the dust jacket. Wait, what that that's like a weird middle ground. Pro you so you are you just saying you really want to use them in their literal sense, like to protect the yeah. book until you're done reading it. Yep. And then you throw it. But what's the harm of keeping the dust jacket if you're just going to put it on the shelf once you're done? So he- here's what it is, is I keep the dust jacket. <laughs> and the reason I keep the dust jacket is because when I'm reading a book, I'm carrying it around that's getting beat up. No, I got so you. by the time I'm done reading the book, the dust jacket looks like trash because it's all beat up. So then I take the dust jacket, which looks like trash off, and I put the nice looking pristine book, which was protected from dust and other elements <laughs> by the dust jacket. I put that back on the shelf and now it looks nice. Are you one of these people that are using the dust jacket, one of the flaps as a bookmark while you're reading the book? No, no, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous. <laughs> get, get a real get a real bookmark. So yes. pretty much just buy anything from missional wear and then they'll send you a pack of five bookmarks with it that are pretty nice bookmarks. I actually that's true. I have a pack that I've been rocking right now, and it's possible I realized recently that my love for bookmarks bookmarks might be equalized or maybe it's just the same as like my love for like stationary supplies. Do you love bookmarks as much as you love like pens and note cards and stuff like that? I do not know. Really? Bookmarks are entirely utility for me. I mean, well, I'm not, I'm not saying like I need like a really fancy bookmark, but I do love like just like a nice stiff, like solid bookmark. You know what I mean? Something that like is going to say definitively, here is where you stopped come back to this page, come back home. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> like really unimpressed on your part. <laughs> I, I like a stiff bookmark because that's, I use it then for a ruler, but like, I don't really care about you, them. Sir. It's entirely utility for me. If I would just use a ruler, except then that bends the pages because it's too thick. <laughs> so at some point we'll need to come to terms and create a collaborative list on like Tony and Jesse's do's and don'ts for reading and book treatment in general, because I do feel confident that we come up to a place where we'd have a set of prescriptions that would really honor the book and yet get you the most out of it. Cause I'm the same way. I, I want to love a book. I want to read a book. I want to highlight a book. I sometimes want to underline in a book and yet I'm going to do it in the most loving way possible. Like I've realized I do have laws that I obey. Whereas like I will go this far, but no further. See, my problem is that I have all these rules about how I interact with these books and then I forget them and then I'm inconsistent and then it drives me nuts. Uh, I hear that. I probably spent 
30% more on books in seminary than I needed to because I refused to buy a used book. Because one time I bought a used book and there was one page that had an underline on it and it drove me nuts. <laughs> I feel like we could do a whole segment where you describe some of like your most traumatizing book related experiences. And then we just cut to Muttley the dog doing that snickering laugh. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I think probably my most traumatic experience, and this is this is not something unique to me, is when you get that new book and you 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 just it's so pretty and pristine, and then yes. that you just hear that noise and everything everything goes black for a second, and yeah, it's bad when so you read that first page. I'll say this as we close: is recently I had this uh, book that uh, it is it, it is a soft cover book. But it is a is a beautiful book. It's a thick volume. It's a, I'm studying for something, and I don't know what happened. I must have temporarily lost my mind. I had it on the kitchen table. I must have set it down in a place that was not secure. It fell off the table, and in doing so, like I was keeping this thing pristine. Like I wouldn't even put it in my backpack because I didn't want to bend up the corners. I didn't want to dog oh, ear it. I was trying to keep this like you know really clean. It fell off the table. And it hit the spine in a strange way. And basically, of course, like just destroyed the cover, bent like half the pages. And in that moment, there was like a second where I just didn't even know what to do in life. Like I, it was just so overwhelming that I thought, do I just set it on fire and go order a new one? I, I don't even know what to do at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. Terrible. The reason that I seem so distracted is because I've been furiously trying to get back into my Wikipedia account to figure <laughs> out what the most recent edit that I did. And the most recent edit that I did was actually to win a debate on Facebook with somebody. Okay. Um, I think that it was I added to the Jonathan Edwards article that he grew teeth and when he grew teeth approximately. <laughs> Let me see. What uh, I said. Well, that's pretty fantastic. I feel like that doesn't that that basically achieves my expectations for the answer to that question. Yeah, I think what it was is I was trying to have a discussion with somebody about um, Jonathan Edwards, some sort of dental issue, and I added the phrase to his article in his early life section. Like most humans, he began to grow teeth around the age of two, <laughs> and then I had a spirited argument with somebody saying uh, that I didn't need to support that because it's an indisputable fact. It's not vandalism. And also who would be crazy enough to refute the fact that I, that people start to grow teeth around two years old. Yeah. Well done. I can't yeah, touch so that. That's, that was my most recent Wikipedia contribution. That's solid reasoning all around and it yep. did not disappoint. I'm glad that about 10 minutes ago I asked that question. It's true. Yeah. Speaking of which, if you're feeling, not, not you per se, but if you're listening to this and feeling a little bit crazy, we're still working on this little project for just collecting yes. some voicemails and input for celebration of the 200th episode of the Reformed yep. Brotherhood. And so once again, we've gotten some people who've called in, left voicemails, sent voicemail files. Call us, leave a voicemail, 607-444-2767. Bros. And Sorry. let us know. I was in the middle of a yawn that I was trying to stifle. <laughs> That's okay. It's the Lord's Day. I haven't had a nap yet. And, and just, re just, re <laughs> just react. It's all, this thing is all off the rails now. <laughs> and just react to this idea of the 200 episodes. So yes. we're accumulating all these kind of interactions from people about this. So please send a voicemail by emailing us at info at reformbrotherhood.com. Or dial 607-444-2767. Yes. And we still have some pretty awesome gear on the way. Jesse and I got our first samples and yes. the samples were not up to our quality standards. And so we sent the samples back. We didn't actually send the samples back, but we are going to redo the design a little bit, see if we can get a little bit better printing because only the best for our Reformed Brotherhood listeners. Only the best. We had yes. to make up what was lacking in these initial samples no no jesse no no we are almost ready to start selling mugs and you know how we love our 15 ounce mugs oh, with the, the solid handles you can so, get your whole hand in the yes. handle people loved ones yes you can get your whole hand in the handle i know it's amazing you don't have to have baby hands like that burger king guy no i love it well 
I would say until next time, Tony. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. <laughs> <laughs>